Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Thank you for this opportunity to be together and sharpen one another to learn together. And thank you for your grace, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Um, when Acts chapter 8, and the reason I wanted to stop a little bit early last week, which is like five minutes early, I guess, yeah, um, was I wanted to really hit chapter 8 and 9 today, really, really do a good, thorough job there with these two. Um, in chapter 8, of course, in chapter 7, we have the stoning of Stephen, his martyrdom, the first martyr of the church. And um, in 8, it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. Who's Saul? Paul. Yeah, he later became Paul. Saul of Tarsus. All right. Um, and... Uh, Tarsus is a is a city, all right. That he was from. He also is from Antioch in um, Asia. In there's two Antiochs. There's an Antioch in Syria and there's an Antioch in Asia Minor, all right. And uh, the city that Paul was born in allowed caused him to be an, um, a citizen. The way he got to be a citizen in Rome is either you could be born in a special city. Certain cities were defined as as cities where anybody born in that city would be an automatic citizen of Rome. It was on a city basis. Or you could purchase your citizenship. All right. I remember later on the centurion is going to ask Paul, said, how did you become a citizen? I had to spend a lot of money for mine. And Paul said, I was born a citizen. All right. But this was the person who would become really one of the major foundations of the church. But at that time, he was consenting to the death of Stephen the idea there of consenting is that he was actually lending support to it. He was he was an active participant, maybe not in casting the stones, but at least he he was the coat check guy, right? All right, he's he's a coat check. Um, that's what fired up his zeal. Was watching that persecution because maybe he wasn't as active prior to that point. Mm-hmm. He was just a coat check guy, and then all of a sudden. He was really He's the right. But what makes what makes somebody do something like this? Like what he did, wanting to slaughter Christians. What makes somebody do that? It's a, it's a I would think when you grow up in things, a lot of things you just do it because you grow up in it. Until you learn that? Yeah, I see a lot of that going on today, right over in the Middle East. Yes. You know, it's hard for us as Americans to understand the Arabic mind and the Islamic culture. um, Where conversion to another faith, they just slaughter you, they kill you for doing that. We, we We don't comprehend that kind of culture, that kind of thinking. Um... And what it is, is somebody gets an idea that they're doing something for God, right? right. I mean, there is more murder committed in the name of God than just about anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the Spanish Inquisition in the Middle Ages, they killed Christians and they were all doing it in the name of God. They were doing God's will, 
All right. And let's, let's, let's just stop and ask ourselves a question. All right. Christianity over the years, in the Crusades particularly, has really been the source of a lot of death in the name of Christ or in the name of God. How do you relate that to what the Bible tells us to be as Christians? Well, could it also be compared to um, England or Ireland, whatever, the Catholics and the Protestants mm -hmm. constantly battling each other? Same thing. What's our response as Christians, as true believers? We're not the executors of God's judgment. Who is? He is. He is. It's God's business, not mine. And see, that's one of the things I think that needs to set us as Christians apart from, from the world. The world will kill in the name of God. I do not have the right to kill in the name of God. God has not granted me the authority or the, the right to slaughter in his name. All right. Now, how do you reconcile that with the Mosaic Covenant, then, the Old Testament law? What's different? Why? Why was it okay then and not now? Because it was under the Old Testament law. Mm -hmm. What was different about Israel than the church today? Well, both are set apart. Think about it. What What's the difference between Israel and the church? They were no. It's so obvious that you're missing it, I think. You're thinking too hard. No. Why why is it why would Israel Israel killed in the name of God in the Old Testament. We're not to kill in the name of God as believers. Why? What's the difference? God was present then. It's more than there than it's ever been. He's been in the back. So there are two gods? Are there two of them? No. Or he changed his personality? No. <laughs> There's something fundamentally different between the Israel and the, and the church. Why not? What's different about the church then than Israel? No. That's always a good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, all else fails, toss that one in. You know, you might get it right. What was Israel? What were they? Yeah, they were chosen, but what were they? Sovereign nation. Yeah, I got it. Oh. 
Israel was a nation. The church is not a nation. All right. Israel as a sovereign nation, all right, as a as a national entity was given the law of God. A component of that law was how to function as a society, as a national entity. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's the answer. Yeah. As a nation, they had a civil legal code, which we find in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. All right. And in that national, under that national banner, there were certain crimes punishable by death. Adultery was punishable by death in the nation of Israel. Disobedient children were, were, were stoned to death. All right. Um, homosexuals were killed. Witches were killed. Um, any city that wanted to lead the nation off into idolatry was wiped out. All right. And you look at it and say, wow, that's pretty brutal, you know. But that was because they were a sovereign nation. And as a nation, all right, they had a, they had a civil set of laws that God gave them that prescribed the death penalty for these things. The church is not a nation. We are not a national entity. Right? We're not. We are called out. We are part of nations. We are citizens of various nations. But we do not have our own national identity as the church. We're different. And as such, we're called to be salt and light. We're not the executors of God's judgment, nor are we given the right to, to force, and, and I know this is, a, this is a big bone of contention, to force society to bend to our Christian values. Doesn't mean we can't be an influencer, right? right. But there's a difference between being an influencer and being someone who forces who wants to force the pagans to act like Christians. By the way, some guy tried that in Geneva. You know what his name was? John Calvin. Yeah, he tried to turn Geneva into a, a, uh, a Christian city run by Christian rules and Christian laws. And guess what? It was a colossal failure. They ran him out of the town. And why is that? You can't make pagans act like Christians. Doesn't work. All right. But as a nation, is Israel had a set of laws and a set of rules. And so when you look in the Old Testament and you see these prescriptions for stoning and, and death and things like that, that's because they were a nation. We're not a nation. Nowhere in the New Testament does it say, go ye into all the world and kill those who don't believe. That's not there. Nor am I given the right to kill an unbeliever like these guys, you know, go out and shoot these abortion doctors. You know, and they say, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm doing it, you know, saving lives, saving children. I'm not given that right to go and slaughter in the name of God. That's not my role. The, the ones who are going to do that are the angels, right? Remember? Now, is the Muslims given that right? In their laws, they are. Islam is a religion that, that's based on submission to Allah. If you don't submit, you're killed. They call themselves a nation of Islam. 
Islam does not mean peace. Islam means submission. The only peace that you have with an Islamic person is you become an Islam, a Muslim. If you don't, you're to be slaughtered. That's the mentality. You know, that's that's their religion. Uh, I just want to comment on all of the laws that you read in Deuteronomy that you need to do something for so many days and you need to do this for so many days or weeks. Or, and so I wonder, how do they keep up with all this? They didn't. I know they didn't do a good job, but I just wondered how they... They didn't. And see, what was God trying to do in the law? What's one of the things he was trying to do with the moral, not the moral code, but the, the legal and civil code of Israel? What was he trying to do? Trying to keep order. Set them apart. Set them apart to make them different. No, you don't eat the same foods as the nations around you. You don't wear the same kind of clothing. You don't conduct yourself in the same manner. Um, God wanted them to remain separate, and, and that worked. For the most part, that worked. They were not assimilated into the nations around them. But they had a right to do that. As believers, we don't have a right. And when Saul is here killing Christians, you say that's an evil thing for him to do. Well, under the Mosaic Code, was he doing the technically the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. Technically. technically. Because what did the Mosaic Code tell you? To, how did it tell you to deal with blasphemers and idolaters? Yeah. He was a Greek. Hellenist? Hellenist. I think Hellenistic Jew, I'm sorry. So he was under the rules of the Jews. Well, Paul Paul was saying this, Paul, and you got to understand, Paul saw the Christian faith. What was different between Paul and the average guy in the Sanhedrin? What was different between them? He was educated. He was highly educated. But what was different about Paul than the average guy? Paul was committed to the law. These other guys may have been committed to the law, but they were more interested in their own social well-being and things. And they were, I mean, they used Judaism sort of as a means, but they weren't, they were not, um, yeah, they, they, they were not uh, so devoted to, to Judaism as Paul was. Paul was a Jew's Jew. Paul was devoted to the law. And that's why he said, I did it ignorantly. Because he was devoted to doing and following the Mosaic law. And the Mosaic law said, if someone teaches you to follow after another god, you're to kill them. That's what it said. And in Paul's mind, who is Jesus? He's an imposter. He's not the Messiah. Now, he got the wrong answer there. I mean, Jesus was the Messiah. But Paul ignorantly did not see him as that. And that's why Paul did what he did. He was zealous for the faith. He was zealous for God. He wanted to obey God. And he thought in his heart 
that what he was doing was the right thing. That's right. So the difference is Paul was following the law that God had given, not the Islamic law. It was actually the law that God had given. Yeah. It did have its origins with God. Okay. And it said there that at that time a great persecution rose out, rose against the church at Jerusalem. They were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So now what do you have happening here with this persecution going on? What's happening to the church? It's getting dispersed. Now that's what God wanted it to do, right? See, contrary to some thinking, God does not want does not want Christians to build high walls and go inside and lock the doors and keep the sinners out. God wants you out in society. All right. Now it's good that the church was gathered together in the early years because they were able to grow and to get founded. But once there was growth, once there was a founding of their faith, then it was time for them to be sent out. And the, the event that triggered this sending out was this great persecution that came and the church scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And those are, remember, that's the, the second two rings of the circle, right? Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. All right? And um, all of them were scattered except the apostles, the twelve. Okay? And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. He was zealous for the faith. Because in Paul's mind, what was Christianity? It was an aberration. It was a heretical aberration. It was teaching heresy against God. And as such, it was to be stamped out under the Mosaic law, under the laws that he knew and grew up with. It was to be eradicated. And that's why he went about doing what he did. And I like that he made havoc of the church. I mean, this was one bad dude. All right. Ferocious. Um, tremendous amount of energy. Driven. And now you have dragging them, you know, going, think of going house to house and finding a Christian, dragging them off to prison to be beaten or to be persecuted. He didn't. Why aren't they zealous now? Why do we see the, the distinction between Islam and Judaism? You don't see the Jews with zealous. Uh, Attacking Christians and putting them to death. No. What's, what's happened then? I mean, the sovereign nation explanation doesn't go to the current. It doesn't go to the current, current because the Jews today, for the most part, are not birthed out of a society that was steeped in the Judaistic faith. The Jews today are Jews in national identity, they're not Jews in religious identity. You go over to Israel today and there's a there's a whole bunch of people over there, Jews, that, you know, the Sabbath is a pain in the it's a pain to deal with. It's a it's a secular society. It's it's given over almost a, a totally secular viewpoint. Um, 
the idea of having deep, you know, ceremonial roots in the law, most of them don't even know what the law is. There are there are some, but but when you look at the percentage of society, they're a small sliver compared to the vast number in Israel. It's a secular society. And a lot of that is born out of, you know, their their background of the nations they've come from, where they've been secularized, you know. Um, whereas with Islam, you know, that, 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 that's deeply entrenched in the society in which those people are at. I mean, they're over there, everybody is Islam. I mean, you know, when the time comes for prayer in the afternoon, you pray wherever you're at. You know, when that call for prayer goes out, you get your rug out and you bow down and towards Mecca, you know. Even in New York. Who's that? Yeah, they were never dispersed like like the Jews were. You know. And, and you got to understand that for the most part, a lot of the people in Islam are Islam only in, in name. They're not, you know, it's not like they're all theologians over there. It's just that's part of their culture. That's part of the society. That's That's sort of what you do. You know, some of you relate to that. You know, you religion in, in your early life was not really something you really believed in. It's just, well, you know, we, you know, we always did that on Sunday. You know, we go down to the church and the priest would do his rigmarole and we go out and have lunch and whatever. It was, it was never really part of your, you know, part of your being. It was just something you did because everybody did it on Sunday. You know, everybody went to church on Sunday. You know, so, but Paul here, he was, he was steeped in it. And he took it very seriously. So what we have is we have the scattering of the Jews. And then in verse 4, Therefore those who were scattered, whenever we're preaching the word, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. All right. Well, Jerusalem is up on a mountain, so anywhere from Jerusalem is down. So he goes up to Samaria. What is Samaria? Where is that? It's another city. North. It's north. What what area is it in? No. It was Samaria. Samaria. Now, what do you know about Samaria and Israel? There was no love lost between those two. All right. And the reason there was no loss between those two, loss of love between those two, is Israel were were prided themselves on being pure Jews. Whereas the Samaritans were intermarried. They were Jews that had intermarried under the dispersion. All right. And they desperately wanted to follow the Mosaic law and be part of Israel. But Israel would have nothing to do with them because of their, their mixed heritage. So what Samaria did is they created their, their, their sort of a, a parallel Judaism. And they, had a, they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. Remember the Samaritan woman who said, where do we worship this mountain or Jerusalem? And if you look at the Samaritan Pentateuch, which are some of the oldest copies of scripture that we have, um, they, they say Abraham, for example, offered Isaac on Mount Gerizim, not Mount Zion, Mount Moriah. They switched the mountains to make Samaria the true Judaism. All right. Um, but they have a form of Judaism. All right. And they have, you know, if you look at, if you remember the class we had last last semester with the textual criticism, the Syriac, Peshit and all those, those are some of the oldest 
scriptures and also the Syriac, um, the, the, some of the old Torahs are very, very old, several thousand years old. All right. Um, but he went up there to preach in Samaria. Now, that's sort of interesting in and of itself, because technically Jews didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. But notice this isn't the church, this or Judaism. This is Christianity now. And so wherever they went, they preached Christ. They proclaimed who he was. And did the Samaritans know about Jesus? Sure they did. I mean, they had heard they're, you know, they're an adjacent country. So, yeah, they heard. And said so the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. Again, this is organic disease. This is not psychosomatic issues. People who were lame for years and years and years were able to walk. Paralyzed people who could not move were able to move again. And why was it important that these miracles be done? To show what? To validate the message and also to identify Philip as being in the line of who? Yeah, Christ healed, mm -hmm. Philip heals. Christ did all these miracles. Philip did all these miracles. Therefore, what do you assume about Philip and Christ? Preaching the same message, the same. It's a continuation of the ministry of Christ. And remember, that's what Luke says. Of all the things Jesus began to say and do, what did the church do? They picked up the banner. And why was it necessary for these miracles to be done? Because it validated the message that Philip was preaching. It validated it as being authentic. All right. And they were eager to hear, but that didn't mean that they had faith. That wasn't one of the things you said that faith was not a necessity of getting healed. No, it wasn't. Validated. The yeah, and and again, what you see in Acts is when you, when you see these miracles and the sign gifts. All right. Um, you see them as validators of the message. They're validating the messages that is being preached. All right. And, and later on, in fact, we're going to see how that works. It, what God is trying to do is he's trying to say you're all the same. It's all the same thing. The message of the apostles is the same message proclaimed by Christ because they're able to do the same signs and wonders. They were able to to validate the message identically. All right. And that's that's really why you have this. Now, as time went on and the church was established and founded and, you know, you, you had you reached a, a large number of believers, the need for signs and wonders went away because you see the power of the church there. All right. Yes, these were demons that would that had possessed people. Okay. No, I don't. I don't think it's trying to say there. It's just saying many 
there came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. It's not that, well, some of them didn't get healed because they didn't have faith or something. I don't think that's really what's being implied here. What's being implied is that the power was there to heal them. All right. Um, was every person in Palestine um, healed under the ministry of Christ? No, not everybody. Everybody who wanted healing and came to him were healed, right? But that doesn't mean every single person was healed. And so uh, some of those uh, demonical questions um, were a result or a cause of some of the um, afflictions. Yeah. You know that Satan can cause disease. And if Satan can cause disease, can Satan heal? No. Yeah, he can heal. Well, I'll give it. What's a good example of that? This, this guy here. But what's a good example under the ministry of Christ? Remember, he went into the. No. Went into the synagogue and there was a woman bent double. Remember? No. There's a woman that was bent double. And he asked him, he says, Yeah, he says, uh, Should not this woman who Satan has bound be healed? And when he cast out Satan, what happened to the woman? She straightened up. So if the Satan can cause you to be bent double by coming and bugging you, he can cause you to not be bent double by leaving you, whether he's cast out or just plain leaves. Well, that's what I said. And yeah. he leaves you, then you did well. Was, um, you know, how Satan entered into Jesus? Yeah. Was Paul murdered in the Christians? Was Paul murdered in the Christians? Out of his own. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, who's that? Well, he was doing Satan's work, but not wittingly. He was, he was zealous for God. He was zealous for the law. Okay. He wanted to honestly please God. Yeah, he was deceived. Because when Christ finally showed up, Paul, oh man, you know, <laughs> it's hard to kick against the pricks, you know. And Paul, you know, immediately like, oh boy, you know, what have I been doing here? And he immediately changed, you know. Um, and he was such, in fact, he was so bad that God had to witness to him personally. Couldn't get any Christian next to him. You know, but, um, yeah. And, uh, so here's Philip and there's a great revival going on. All right. There's a great revival going on. And there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria claiming someone great. Here's a guy that was able to do magic tricks. Now, th th there's probably two elements here. One there's an element where he might have just been able to do some magical tricks and fool the people into thinking he's something. Or there was such a thing as sorcery. I mean, Satan could give him a limited amount of power to do things. All right. 
Um, what about the false prophet of the last days? Where's he get his power? Satan. From Satan, who gives him the ability to perform signs and wonders, even calling down fire out of heaven. I mean, that's pretty, pretty amazing. All right. So this man here is a sorcerer. He is a ma dabbling in the magical arts. And it says he astonished the people of Samaria, making the claim that he was something great. And it says here, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. So he had, he had schnookered them into thinking that he was God's representative. Now, do we have that problem today? Yes. Yeah, look at TBN. When somebody gets up and, and preaches this health, wealth, prosperity, and forgets to talk about Jesus and salvation and repentance and sin, you've got a problem. These guys are false teachers. There's no doubt about it. They're a false prophet. And you're to stay away from them. You're not to go near them. You're not to listen to them. They make themselves out to be something great. I mean, listen to some of these guys on TV. You'd think if something happened to them, the whole kingdom of God would come to a screeching halt. God doesn't need anybody. He doesn't need them. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need anybody. God's kingdom will go on just fine without any of us. Yeah. Um, but this guy had passed himself off as this great representative of God and actually had people convinced that he was. And how was he doing his miracles? By what power? Witchcraft. Witchcraft and Satan. Look, folks, get to understand this. Just because guy, some guy can get on TV and supposedly do some supernatural thing does not mean it's from God. Janice and Jambres were able to do what? They could turn their staff into a snake. Now, that's a that's, that'll beat David Copperfield, won't it? Mm -hmm. Throwing your staff down and it turned into a snake? Wow. They were able to mimic what Moses was doing to a degree. Yeah. But the point is they were able to mimic it. Satan is a mimicker. You understand that? Satan doesn't have an original thought. He's a mimicker. He mimics God. And his greatest ploy is deception, deceit. Getting you to believe something that's not so. Because he can, he can hook you and drag you and bait you and snap you and bring you in. And he had this guy here who was passing himself off as the great expert, the great power of God. So therefore, if the people thought this guy was speaking for God when he spoke, they would do what he said because they thought they were following God. Yeah, he, he passed the thought. And, and again, um, under Roman, you know, under Roman gods, right? You had messengers and things like that. And if somebody comes along and does some miraculous kind of things, you'd think that he was a emissary of Jupiter or Zeus or whatever. All right. Jupiter was the head was the head of the gods in in Rome. And the Greek name was Zeus, and the and the Roman name is Jupiter. Okay. Um, but he was the chief god. All right. 
And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. This guy had been doing this for some time, and the people listened to him because he had supposedly this power from God. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. And Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, if the chapter stopped right there, what would you say about Simon? He's in. He's converted. He's in. Right? He was baptized. It says even said he believed. Wow. Can you believe and yet not believe? Right. You can believe and yet not believe. Can you believe and yet not believe? Can you believe in the truth and yet not believe in the truth? Have you don't believe? Heart knowledge. Is the motive behind the belief? Seth got it. There's a head and a heart. I can believe that Jesus, I can bring a pagan in here, send him down, say, you know, give him the gospel, say, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe he's, he was the Messiah? Yes. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe he died on a cross? Absolutely. Did he rise again? Sure did. Does that make him a Christian? No. Because he believes in his head. There's a difference between your head and your heart. Some people say that 12 inches is the is the difference between eternity in heaven and eternity in hell. Look at uh, later on in Acts, we're going to run into a guy named, uh, um, you know, a, a name just went right through across my mind. Um. Felix, Festus, and Agrippa. I think it's Agrippa. What did Agrippa say to Paul? I'm almost persuaded. Almost persuaded. Folks, you can be this far from the kingdom and miss it. You can be there and miss it. You mean almost Christian. You still like that book, don't you? The Almost Christian Discovered is written by Matthew Mead back in 1600 and some odd. It's a terrific book. No. Matthew Mead. Don can get it for you. No. He did. Don, Don can get, if you want the book, Don can get it for you. But the whole point here is that is that you can just because when you read in the Bible that that many um, well here's another one John eight remember Christ gives them the cost of discipleship and said many who believed on him walked with him no more you say what happened they lost their salvation no they believed on the surface level right. But they didn't believe from the heart. Mm -hmm. There's a difference. I can see how that could happen. Yeah, There's a difference. You're walking along with Christ and you're seeing all this stuff and you're still in it. But the minute it stops, 
then you change. Yeah. The minute it's out of your sight, you then, don't believe it in your then, heart, but then it's gone. Okay. And what did Christ tell him? If you continue in my words, then you are my yes. true disciple. Well, it's been for a short time, he sure did. For a short time. And see, that, that, that right there, that, that's one of the great paradoxes in the New Testament. If you're truly born again, you will persevere. That's one of the main tenets of Calvinism. But how do you persevere? Is it up to you to do that? I would think so. If God doesn't help you persevere, you're not going to persevere. I persevere and God help me to persevere. Right. It's both. And someone who says, I'm a Christian, and yet they turn around and walk away and leave the church and leave God and go off and they're that way for 20, 30, 40 years. They've never had it. You've heard of backslides before. Then they come back. If they're truly born again, they'll come back. If they're not, they'll never come back. And that's what 1 John 2 says, right? They went out from us because they weren't of us. If they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. All right? And here's the whole point. When someone, when you see someone who, who is in that state, don't treat them like a Christian. Treat him like an unbeliever. Don't make the mistake of making a pagan think he's in. If you got to make a mistake, make a Christian think he's out. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's better to treat a Christian as a pagan than a pagan as a Christian. Yeah. But this guy, you know, you, if this chapter stops, say the guy's in. He's a Christian. He believes. He's got. He was baptized of all things. You know, became part of the church, and even hung around Philip of all things. And he's looking at these signs and wonders that's going on. So what about that? If you want, what, what about that saying? If you have one percent doubt, you're hundred percent wrong. No. And there are preachers that say that. That's not true. That's not true. Um, every every person in this room have doubts. Every one of us in here. I have doubts. I'm telling you. I'll be honest with you. And when I doubt, when I doubt, I have to tell myself, you know, if I could believe any more than I do, I would. You know, um, I look at my life and I see a change in my life that I can't attribute to anything other than the power of God. So although I may feel like I doubt and although there may be those moments where, yeah, that mo you just, you know, you know, God is there. Doubt is not doubt is doubts is something we all face. All right. Unbelief is the bad thing. Unbelief is a refusal to believe. That's, that's what I was saying. Like that guy that was on the radio last week was saying that. You don't need God. And he says, and I'm not a Christian and I have 
as much or more than these people who call themselves a Christian or just following God. And, 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 you know, like, and I was just saying, a young person, all these young people just listening to that, if they had uh, any kind of doubt, you know, they could really lose it behind some mess like that. Where, you know, it's all material things anyway in the world. That's what the young people are looking at, how fast you can get it. And to make a statement like that. He doesn't understand Psalm 73. Well, of course not. You know, probably never read it, but you remember Psalm 73, the writer, Psalm says, you know, I, I couldn't understand, a, you know, the righteous guy's taking it in the neck and the evil people, you know, they're, they have money, they have wealth, they have nothing that ever goes their way. He said, I didn't understand it till I went down to the house of God and understood their end. That guy might have it now, but there's coming eternity when he will have nothing. And would that, would that guy say he's no fool to give up what he can't keep in order to gain what he can't lose? Might there be a number of people um, who, who actually sincerely believe they are, but it's only head knowledge? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could be one of them. I mean, I've often thought about that. Yeah. And, and the only answer, and the only answer I have is that, is that there's something about I, I, I'll, I'll put you on the couch. I never get to put a psychiatrist on the couch, but I'll put you on the couch, you know, and ask you the question that if, if that is a true statement, then why have you come back to Moody classes for seven years? Why do you have a insatiable hunger for the word of God? Why do you, why is your life different today than it was 20 years ago? Covering your bases? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't. Yeah, uh, that would be the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. now, I, suppose, I suppose it could be. <laughs> oh, oh, he knows. <laughs> I think I became, you know, I want to say I did an altar call and became committed before I knew what it meant to be really committed. Yeah. I mean, I, I did, it, happened, it happened to all of us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I learned what I was supposed to believe mm -hmm. after I was committed. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> the question is, do you believe it? Yeah. Yeah. If you could believe it more than you do now, would you? Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> you know. Have I have ever been have I ever been persecuted? Have I ever been under I've never been persecuted. Have I ever been under trial? Have I ever been under mm. God's not called all of us to suffer persecution like others. Sometimes we get snubbed. You know. But but I mean what Seth is pointing out is a valid is a valid thing and there that there are a lot of people yeah there are a lot of people that struggle with that they say well what if I've just you know for twenty years this has just been a big game to me you know and the point that the scripture makes is that those who are true believers it won't be twenty years it'll be thirty forty fifty it'll be to the time of death they will hang in there. And they're hanging in there is not because they are hanging in there. It's because God is hanging them in there. All right. God is holding on to them. God is sustaining them. And as Peter says that, you know, it, I had to answer this question um, on, a, on a thing I had to do. You know, how do you know you're a Christian? And my answer was, I know I'm a Christian because I see a fundamental change in my 
character that I can't explain any other way. I'm different. I want to obey God. I mean, I want to. It's not that I have to. If I well, you know, I got to do these eight things and I'll get in. It's I want to. I want to. Um, I want to be in church. I want to be around other believers. I want to listen to the word. You know, and and that's that's not the that's not the character of someone who does not have the Holy Spirit. You know, if you just look at the fundamental difference between most men and most women, mm-hmm. that women tend to have a deeper emotional relationship with each other than men tend to have more of a side mm-hmm. and, and so if you think about our relationship with God, my guess is mm-hmm. more of us men would be more of an intellectual relationship with the Lord and not necessarily as much of a emotional day to day, heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And, and then you start to wonder about that and say, well, that had not worked. Mm-hmm. But but the thing is, one of the one of the struggles we have is as long as we're stuck in this flesh, mm-hmm. we will never experience the fullness of that relationship because we're we're fleshy. You know, and Paul says that in 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 Romans seven. He says the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Are you know who's going to get me? Deliver me here. It's a struggle. But the fact that there's a struggle indicates that there's a reality there. Sinners do not struggle with sin. They struggle with consequences of sin, but they don't struggle with sin. I'll make a statement, and I think it's easier for women to yield than men. You know, God made you that way. He made us the same. Could it be that sin entered into the man and not the woman? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not trying to go no stone. But think about it. That sin entered into the man and not the woman. The woman was deceived. The man knew what he was doing. He's the responsible party. And sin did not enter the human race until Adam ate. But listen, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm not doing the stone. No. This may be why... What he's saying, this may be why men struggle more. In no, I, I, I think the issue is that there is a, in spite of the 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 um, the politically correct notions floating around out there, uh-huh. there is a fundamental difference between the way men think and women think. There's a physiological fundamental difference. All right, that's just the way it is. That's the way we're wired. We know that. You know, um, you figured that out. Most figure it out. Um, and different, the different sexes struggle with different things. You know, And Seth has pointed out, women have a much higher need for relationship and, and that than men do. You know? Y'all want to be Yeah, they need relationships. Don't try it. You know, I can love my children. I can teach parenting. I can know a lot of stuff about parenting, but my wife's a much better parent. Right. When a kid skins his knee, who does he run to? Mom. Doesn't run to dad. Dad says, ah, you know, suck it up, kid. You know, it's not the first time. It's not going to be the last. You know? And the mother, you know, picks the kid up and pet You know? Yeah. I got two girls. I got two girls. You want them over for a little while. All right. Just for a little while. But anyways, so when you look at this, you think, well, Simon, he's in. He's a Christian. He's a believer. He's baptized 
And what did Philip think? Yeah, I mean, there's nothing that indicates otherwise. He's a brand new Christian, and he goes and screws up. And because he screws up, because he doesn't know any better, you're out, bud. You know, I know now, don't take this the wrong way, I don't really know much of anything, but I know more now as a Christian, 20 years later, mm-hmm. than what I did when I was first. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Got to let people grow up. There's hands out there. Well, <laughs> so here he. Oh, Moses broke even want to get saved. He wanted this power. He said he had everything anyway. This whole Moses wanted to come to Christ was to get this power so he can use it and make money. That's right. Oh, absolutely. Because now what happens now the when the apostles? Yeah. Now when the apostles, who are at Jerusalem, heard. That Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. So, mm-hmm. so here's the church. Now, they're still steeped in their Judaistic uppity snobbiness, right? Mm-hmm. So when they heard that a bunch of Samaritans had gotten in on this deal, what do they want to do? Get in Check it out. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Right. <laughs> and who they send? They sent Peter and John down yeah. to check things out. Who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he had not fallen on them, he had fallen on none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. What is what's happening here? What the laying on of the hands of? Why did they not receive the Holy Ghost? You said, wait a minute, you know, back two, three weeks ago, you said the time of, when, from the moment of salvation, you receive the Holy Ghost. You're baptized in the Spirit. Why weren't they? They weren't elect. They didn't believe. Yeah, they believed. They're, they're believers. It wasn't free. Yeah, Jamie's got it right. Why, why, did, the, why did God sovereignly at this point withhold the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on these believers until the apostles showed up. What was the proof of what they saw? What do you think the proof was? What was the proof? Up to this point, when the Holy Spirit came upon believers, how was it manifested? Yeah, and they spoke in tongues, right? Particularly the tongues thing in in Acts chapter 2. How did you know that the Holy Spirit fell? Well, cloven tongues of fire set on every one of them, and they spoke in other languages. All right? So what do you think happened here? Same thing. All right? Now, why did God hold off? Oh, they could handle it. What? So Gentiles have it a different way than the Jews do. You are a snotty, snobbish, snooty Jew mm-hmm. who thinks you're something special because you had the gift of the Holy Spirit and you hear this riffraff. Yeah supposedly believe the gospel and you go up and yeah they're believers and all of that and you come back to Jerusalem what is your what is your mentality towards them now you got love. Love. they're equal no no 
If they did not get the spirit, what would you assume? We're still superior. And what is God trying to get them to understand? Jew or Samaritan, you're the same. There's no difference. It was. It was a very difficult pill for them to swallow. For John and Peter? Yeah. It was for John and Peter's benefit. It had nothing to do with their... It's for John and Peter. To get John and Peter, get it through their thick, concrete Jewish skulls, that, you know, in the church there is no difference between a Jew and a Samaritan. And later on he's going to have to pound it again into Peter with Cornelius. Because there's no difference. Had there been a difference... We would have had multiple levels of Christianity. You got the Jews. They were the closest ones to God. And then you guys are just sort of riffraff stragglers on, but, you know, don't think you're anything special kind of stuff. You know, there, there, would, there would be that, that innate snootiness. Do you think that pattern still is today? No. I don't think it is today because, one, Peter was given the keys of the kingdom. All right. And I think there's... He gave Peter the keys of the kingdom, and Peter was present at all these event points. What about Paul? All right. That's that's still yeah, Paul, and then and then you have Paul with the the stragglers on. But here you see Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost part of the earth. The uttermost would be Cornelius. Um, yeah, and and he's trying to get across to Peter, who who he gave that particular ministry to the 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 uniqueness of the church in that all are identical there is no difference between any any race or any believer we're all one body we all have the same holy spirit the manifestation is identical in all respects there's no difference and he had god had to pound that in because it was contrary to the thinking of the israelite mind it was just totally contrary to their thinking. We are the chosen people. If the Gentiles get in, it's because they kowtow to us, but they're always a, a level below us. They're not a full-blown Israelite. They're always a, a, a level below. All right? must be hard to accept that by saying But you know... chosen people and then all of and God's favorite, so mm-hmm. to speak, and now... We're all the same. Yeah. Yeah. And and see, the, the problem is, whether we like to admit it or not, there's a streak of that going on now. in all of us. It's going on now. Because we would like to think that we are better or better than that group or this group or this other group. That's right. All right. The guy that was Puerto Rican made a statement about this guy that's Arab at work. And the guy that's Arab always come around me. And mm-hmm. so he found out that the guy said something. So he told me, he said, well, friend, I came from where all the apostles came from. Did I not? <laughs> I said, yes, you did. Mm-hmm. Well, I had to tell the truth. Yeah. He came through over there. Yeah. <laughs> but but <laughs> he think, you know, he, he said the guy. But one of the things, one of the dangers that we all face is we, we do comparisons. We do mental comparisons. Yes between denominations, between churches, between individuals. And and I think that's something that God really would, would have us get away from. Is that necessarily, can't that be justified? I mean, let's look at all the apostasy and see. That's different. When you're looking at truth, 
when, is it, when, it's, when somebody who's teaching error, that's, that's an issue. If it's someone who is a believer like you are, and yet you see a, a difference in status for whatever reason, that is evil. God is no respecter of persons. You know, that's, that's the difference. Yeah, I am to be discriminatory when it comes to false teaching, but not, you know, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a Baptist Christian. You're a Presbyterian Christian. We all know Baptist Christians are better than the Presbyterians because after all, you dunk your kids in water and we don't. And, you know, and that's the mentality going on. Folks, face it. You deal with it. Well, but, but as, a, as a Christian, as, as part, of, part of the body of Christ, and we, we, we have the compassion for that person we mm-hmm. see caught in that false teaching. Yes. What, what, let's just say you, have, you know a person who was, is an Episcopalian church and one of the liberal ones. What's, what's our responsibility? What's our role? Our role is, is our to, role to separate that person from that? Um, our role is to preach the, the truth to them and ask, have the Holy Spirit work in their heart. Now, if they're trying to convert us, you deal with them at the point of error. But if they just happen to be in that, you know, person or that 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 I mean that faith. You know, like the Catholic comes and says, "Hi, I'm a Catholic." They, oh my gosh, you're damned and on your way to hell. You know, you're on a greased pole. You know, you're going. Yeah, come on, you know that's that's not very. By the way, I got to try out the Jehovah's Witness. Yeah. Uh, that's not fair. As soon as they knocked on my door, I didn't uh, say it like that. Okay. But some, you know, they were, of course, the dog is barking and they're trying to attack them and everything. But uh, I, 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 and you didn't let the dog loose. <laughs> I, I'm, and I just said, I just, I'm sorry, your theology is wrong, and you don't. I mean, you don't, you don't know who Christ is and what He's doing. Yeah. And that's how that's how I left it. I didn't make any friends by saying that. But, but you you confronted the error at the point of error, and that's. That's what we're to do. We're supposed to be gracious about it, but you're not doing people a favor by not saying that. You know, um, Christ was gracious. You know, I mean, stop. Look at the way Christ handled people. Now, if, you know, who on the face of this planet had all the right answers all the time? Christ did. And how did he respond? Now, how would you respond? If you had all the right answers all the time. I don't think you'd want to be around. I don't think anybody would want to be around you, right? Just because there are, our, our human nature would take over and we'd, we'd flaunt it. But look at Christ. Well, how come ministers beat up on people? I don't know. So you know what I'm talking about. I don't, and, and why? And, and I'm looking in the scripture. I'm so silly. I have never tried to look to see where Christ said that at. <laughs> they be beating you up with the scripture. Why are you going to that church? Well, that's everywhere I go. Okay. Are they beating you or convicting? <laughs> They're not convicting me. No. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. No. I don't want to leave the Jesus. It's just that little knowledge. Yeah. You know, it's just that. The the the, the great danger that we have as Christians is to think that we have an inside track with God or somehow we're more godly than we are. We, we, we cut ourselves a lot more slack than we should, and we see ourselves as much more godly than we are. And there's a great bent in us to somehow think if people don't think of Christianity or do the things I'm doing or believe the way I believe and they're not as close to God as I am. And that is a deep thing that we all struggle with. We all struggle with that, and we got to get, we got to break loose of that. 
I'm trying to cut to early June some slack. It's hard. It's hard for them to break loose of that. Oh, wait, because, I mean, we are far removed from the children of the original group. And all of the things that God did for them, I mean, you know, they could brag that they walked across mm -hmm. the Red Sea, all that stuff. And now, and God is taking care of them on every hand, feeding, clothes, clothes and wear, all that good stuff. And now, I mean, you know, how many years later, this is all they've heard, you know. Yeah. God. And now, you're just as good as I am. I don't think so. Where were you when he was leaving? Yeah. That's hard. Because, yeah, it's because it's hard. It's because there's a human nature. We are prideful people at heart. We, we are. So couldn't we cut them with just a little slack and know how they feel? I, I have no, I have no, I, I, one of the things we're pointing out here is why they did the things they did. The difficult, what I'm trying to point out is that we unconsciously fall into the same trap. Yeah, but not based on what they had. Probably not based on what they had, but we do, we do fall into the same trap. All right. So they received the Holy Ghost, and what did that tell them? That told Peter and John that guess what? They have the same Holy Spirit we have in the same measure, mm -hmm. same manifestation. Mm -hmm. They're part of the same body. He didn't accept it completely, right? Okay. Peter didn't. He didn't. Peter had to. He another had another lesson. And then here, and then when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, "Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit." Now, now he's just unveiled who he really was. Why did Simon believe? I'd like to know what length span of time. Power. I mean, stop and think about it. You're, 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 you know, you've passed yourself off as the the great power of God and these jokers come into town and they're able to do some pretty good magic tricks that you've not seen before. What are you going to do? Well, if you, you have one of two things, you can fight with them, which doesn't do you very much good, right? Or you can try to join them and find out how they do their tricks and add them to your bag of tricks and then you become even more powerful. That's what he did. I'd like to know how, what the time span was here. Probably, probably a matter of days, if not weeks. But Simon Magus was not in it. By the way, his name is Simon Magus. He was not in it for God. He was in it for the tricks. He had an ulterior motive. Now, initially, you didn't know that. Philip didn't know that. But he revealed his cards when he wanted to buy mm -hmm. this trick. All right. And Peter said to him in a non-PC mm -hmm. manner, your money perished with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. See, what did Simon Magus see this whole Christianity deal as? Just another set of magic tricks. If I can, you know, if I can learn those magic tricks of healing and giving, giving the Holy Spirit, boy, that'll, and add them to the bag I've already got, I've got it made. 
just thought maybe that's how these these faux sorcerers got by was they buy tricks off the other guy. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. I'll give you, you know, a couple million pieces for that. And yeah. You gotta pay for your trick. Yeah. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Was Simon Magus ever a believer? No. Yes. Says he was. A true believer? No. He believed and was baptized. He wasn't. That doesn't make him a true believer. He has to be his yeah, not a true one. He didn't receive the spirit at that point. No, he didn't. That would that would that would, that would sort of you know tip something off to you. But what did Peter say? He says you're 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 bound by iniquity. Well, who's bound by iniquity? Is a believer bound by iniquity? Can a believer be bound by iniquity? Can a believer? Yeah. Sure you. You can be saved but not delivered. I, I've seen people saved in the head. That's one of those stories. What? You can be saved that double and then all of a sudden, you, this guy just got saved, and all of a sudden you know that uh, he's, a, he's addicted to drugs, or he's a crack, you know, he's a fiend, or whatever. And he just got saved, and now but, he's got to be work. He's got to oh, work okay. out his addiction, uh, but he's still saved. In that case, is is he bound by his sin? No. Not according to Romans, he's not. By definition, as a believer, you're not bound by iniquity. By definition, you can't be. Romans chapter 6 and 7 says if you are born again, you are not bound by iniquity. Now, it doesn't mean you don't sin, right? And it doesn't mean that you don't struggle with a sin. But Paul says, sin shall not have dominion over you. In Christ, you are a new creation. If you are truly born again, you are not bound by sin. You've been freed from sin. You may still sin, you may still struggle, you may still fight you know, your flesh, but you know what? You don't have to sin. That's the difference. As a Christian, you don't have to sin. It depends. It depends on what you mean by backslide. If you say, "Can you backslide?" I'm which, not saying you did it like yeah. overnight. You did it by yeah. This this is a good this is a good question here. There, there are some there are some that say yes. there are some that teach this 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 notion that there are basically three brands of people. All right, <laughs> there are three kinds of people. All right, there are unbelievers. We know who those are, right? And then there are believers. All right, those are born again. And then there's this class called carnal believer, all right? Or we'll call it the backsliders, okay? Now, 
if you if you are saying, and I'm just going from the New Testament, what the New Testament tells us. All right. This is what, no. This is what people are saying. This is not what the New Testament is saying. This is what people say. All right. All right. That this is this is this is put out a lot by the Dallas Theological Seminary and some of them. All right. That there's this class of believer called the carnal believer. Who's the carnal believer? The carnal believer is someone who was born again, but like you said, they went back into sin, and you know, for the last 20 or 30 years, they've been living like they're not a Christian at all. But they are believers because they went forward and signed the card and prayed the prayer. All right. Now, what does the New Testament say about that? You know, they never had it. I did have it. No, you didn't. I had it, and I came back. Right, because in your case, if you say, can a believer act carnally for a period of time, the answer is yes, you can. If you could say, can a believer be carnal as a, as a state of existence, I don't believe you can be. Because one of two things are going to happen. You're going to repent, or God's going to kill you. Ooh, well, he didn't kill yet. <laughs> so you I the point the point is does the New Testament is there anywhere in the New Testament that says that as a permanent condition of existence as a believer you can continue to live in sin no no, no. no. you can't no you can come yeah, and such were some of you, but now you're washed. You used to be an idolater. You're not anymore. You used to be a fornicator. You're not anymore. You used to be effeminate, a homosexual. You're not anymore. Such were some of you. Um, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that. You're not, you can't be a carnal believer as a state of existence. You can act carnally. And what? And if you're acting carnally, what is God going to do to you? What's that? Romans eight six and seven. Okay, well, but what? Minded is death. Okay, and that the carnally minded person is an unbeliever in Romans eight. Oh. The distinction in Romans 8 is not between two classes of believer, the carnal ones and the spiritual ones. It's between the people who are not believers and the people who are. The five is addressed to the church. Ephesians 5, 8. It says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are in light. Walk as children of light. And First John chapter three says, if you're born again, you, if you, those who are born again, sin not. And the, the sin there is in the in the perfect tense, which means state of ex, um, um, it, it's it's a character. If you're if you're truly born again, you do not exist in, in a state characterized by unrepentant, unending sin. But what she's saying is that like once you once you confess. Once you confess, 
And then you slide, you stop going to church and stuff. And of course, you're probably doing wrong too. You still have a chance. You can come back. That's called backslide. Oh, what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to say is, if you're saying, can you backslide and come back? Sure, you can, because you can be a believer and act in a carnal fashion. Okay. But you cannot be a carnal believer as a state of existence. You're going to convict it and come back. The problem is there are people that say, well, you know, Joe, I remember Joe, you know, 30 years ago, he, uh, you know, he walked down the aisle and he prayed the prayer and I was there when he became a Christian. Well, tell me about Joe. Well, you know, he's an adulterer. He, he's an alcoholic and a drug addict and he molested his three daughters and he's in prison now for the rest of his life and hates God. But I know he's a Christian because he prayed a prayer. He, he must be a carnal believer. No, there's, there's, this is not a class of believer. Joe was never a believer, most likely. Well, what if uh, Baptist churches, they like to uh, throw up that Old Testament that uh, I married to the black backslider? I don't know what Old Testament. Jeremiah 3, 14. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you. He's talking to Israel who are rejecting their Messiah as a nation. Yeah. They're rejecting God. I want to know how, how the... How they justify this? I mean, it's I don't know how they justify it. I think sometimes it's brought out in the fact that God's faithfulness doesn't change in no. regards to the people's behavior. He's still, you're still a child of God, but on their end, they're living in that lifestyle. They're saying, on my end, I never turned away from you. No, he always That's told right. Israel, I never turned away from you. You turned away from me. You were the prostitute. You were the, the fornicator. You're the one that. I don't know how I don't know how they do that. All I'm saying is when when you look at the New Testament or the Old Testament, either one. All right. You have there's two groups of people in the world. They're believers and unbelievers. As a believer, you can act carnally by submitting to your fleshly desires. You can sin. But you cannot do that as a continued state of existence because God will convict you and bring you back to him or he will kill you. Do you think the, the story of the prodigal is a demonstration of that, that God's trying to bring across? Because there are both songs and the one left and it says he came to his senses and came back. Um, God was using it to illustrate that, what you're saying there. Possibly, I think there's. I think that's not really why God, why Christ gave that parable. Um, he's talking about Christ is the seeking Savior. The emphasis is on the Father who sought the Son. All right, but, but I'm just saying when when you look at the New Testament, wh whatever passage you're looking in, it does not say, it, it doesn't allow you as a Christian to live in an unrepentant state of sin as a as a form of existence. It it tells you that God will either chasten you. Because you're his child, he will bring you back. You will be miserable. If someone says, you know, I'm living in sin, I'm happy, and they're not convicted, and nothing's, that, that indicates they're not a child of God. Don't say, well, they're just one of these carnal believers, and just, you know, that, that's, don't, don't, don't give them that, because God doesn't give them that.
a new Christian can be spiritual and an old Christian can be carnal. The question is, are you listening to your flesh or are you listening to the spirit? That's the difference. But as a state of existence, you cannot be a carnal Christian. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.